You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Okay, Hollywood, this week we've got another When Rock Ruled the Charts episode to go through, and we are talking about February 28th, 1996, which is the day that Kiss puts makeup back on for the Grammys and gets introduced by Tupac. Okay, dude, that was very white of you. It's Tupac. It's Pac. <laughs> Tupac. Yeah. No, it's Pac. <laughs> yeah. You know, when that came out of my mouth, I was like, yeah, that's extremely white of me. That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that kind of <laughs> slipped out. But what do you want me to do? I don't know. So definitely a special day in music history, right? Every Kiss nerd was watching the Grammys. And there was, you know, rumors that leaked out that something might happen. If not, every Kiss nerd who missed the Grammys was pretty pissed about it. But these rock rule the charts. We're going to kind of travel back in time, talk about that date, specifically February 28th, 1996, talk a little bit about Kiss, and then just talk about all the rock and hard rock acts that were on the Billboard 200 at the same time and kind of take a trip down memory lane. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, you know me. I love these episodes. I like taking the trip back in time, and I like the fact that Sonny does the majority of the legwork on these episodes, and I just have to talk about what I like and don't like. So these are my favorite episodes to do. And before we get too deep in the sticks with this, you know, we got to do this. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right. So tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight Come to us from who else? Frontiers Records. Good Lord. Frontiers. They're the ones that send me the most records. Anyway, this thing came out at the end of last year, and it is Navina and basically Navina Dordivic, if I'm saying that correct, is a Serbian singer and musician. She has her own music school. She's a very talented young lady, and she has a great voice. And this is a record that I've actually spent a little time with recently, and I think it's a pretty damn good record. But check out this song called Bad Sun Rising, and if you get the opportunity, check out the video too, because it's not too bad to watch. 
The video's not too bad, and that album cover's not bad to look at, because let's say what it is, we're two hetero males, <laughs> at least I am, and uh, <laughs> and uh, Navina's hot. Okay, she's hot. I listened to this album when it came out. The vocal to me, is it just sounds like a pop singer trying to be rock. I'm sure she is uber talented. But for the music that Mike Palace is trying to get her to do, her voice is just not super dynamic to really... For what I'm looking for. Like you compare it to like the Thunder Mothers and the Hailstorms and the Pretty Recklesses and the Warning and some of that stuff that's out there that's got female lead singers, man. The voice is really dynamic now. So then when you listen to this, it's like, it's like Debbie Gibson trying to sing rock and it just didn't connect with me. I like this record a little bit more. For me personally, it's a little bit more rocking than say like the uh, Ches Kane. Just the guitar is a little bit more up front. You talked about it a little bit earlier. She's partnered up with producer Mike Palace, and Palace has his own thing going on. I think he's kind of like the new Alessandro Del Vecchio for Frontiers. He's starting to do a lot more producing, and he's just he's an all-around musician, so he can do it all. He can do guitar and drums and bass and keyboards. He can do everything. In fact, he played everything on this record, except for the singing is Navina. So I get what you're saying. And maybe if I listen to it with that in mind, I might hear the same thing you you hear. But for me, like the tunes are just a little bit more rocking. And I kind of like that. I think there's some decent written tunes on here. Uh, and I think there's some good hooks on here. And she's not a bad singer. She doesn't have maybe the vocal dynamics as Lizzie or a uh, Guernica or somebody of that stature, a Dorothy, whatever. But overall, I kind of like the record. I'm going to spend a little bit more time with it to see if I really like the record. Uh, but I like this song, Bad Sun Rising. It's not bad. I think this is the first single off the record, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, check it out. The record is Novena. See what you think. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. So getting to our topic, February 28th, 1996. So what happens is the Grammys is going and Tupac gets up, does his little stick and says something like, let's shock the people. And the four original Kiss members in Love Gun costumes walk out. And, you know, everybody's clapping. Some people are in shock. I have no idea if the people that are in attendance knew that was going to happen. I'm assuming these guys were backstage somewhere, so they probably saw them, but who knows. And then Gene said something quick. Peter said something fairly quick. Ace said something fairly quick. And then Paul introduced the nominations for the best pop performance by a duo or group with vocal. And the choices were... I Can Love You Like That by All For One, which is a great song. Love Will Keep Us Alive by The Eagles, which is one of my favorite Eagles songs. Let Her Cry by Hootie and the Blowfish. 
the Rembrandts, I'll be there for you, and Waterfalls by TLC. And you want to take a wild guess who won? I'm going to say don't go chasing Waterfalls. Uh, that is incorrect. Let her <laughs> cry one. Okay. So like I said, everybody kind of talks real quick and then Paul kind of does the nominations. And you know what? I'm going to cut it in right here. So take a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome acclaimed rap artist and Grammy nominee, Tupac. What's up? What's up? California love. How y'all like this uh, Versace hookup? The swap meet was closed, so you know I go all out for the Grammys. <laughs> y'all down with this? We're gonna try to liven it up. You know how the Grammys used to be all straight looking folks with suits, everybody looking tired, no surprises. We tired of that. We need something different, something new. We need to shock the people. So let's shock the people. Now, <laughs> these my homeboys, <laughs> and I see just about everything now. <laughs> All right, Los Angeles! Great to be here. We're real happy to be here to present the next award. The nominations for best pop performance by a duo or a group with a vocal are I Can I Love can You love Like That, you like All For One. Love will keep us alive, Eagles. Let her cry, Booty and the Blowfish. I'll be there for you, the thing from Friends, the Rembrandts. Waterfalls, TLC. And the Grammy goes to, oh, my other homeboys, Hootie and the Blowfish. Okay, so pretty cool thing at the Grammys. And then Kiss kind of, you know, it's like, well, we'll announce later on. And it was a couple of months later when all the announcements happened and we're a reunion and blah, blah, blah. We'll talk about that at the historic moment. But it was a cool slice of not only rock history, but Grammy history, but history, to be honest. Do you remember seeing this on the Grammys? Because at this time, I was watching the Grammys every year. Yes, I do. I think I probably recorded it on my VCR because that's what I had in 1996. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I do vaguely remember seeing this uh, because this was an interesting time in my life because I was basically coming off the road for good and starting my uh, corporate career. So, Yeah, and, and you know, this is 27 years ago. So I'm 26. I think you're what, 29, 30? I would have been 30, 30 or 31. Oh, okay. And, you know, I'm still living in the Bay Area. My music dreams are dead by that time. I'm a thousand percent concentrated on my retail career and I'm about to start my life with Nicole. Where are you living and where are you at? You said you're about to start your career at that point? Yeah. So I'm in Atlanta and I am coming off the road. And at one point in time, I told myself that when I got to 30, that I was pretty much done on the road. I was tired of living out of suitcases and living out of buses. And if I had not gotten to a place where, you know, I was working for 
Metallica or Van Halen or something <laughs> like that, that I would pretty much hang up my touring shoes. And that's what I did. And at the same time, I got an offer to get into computers and things uh, such as that. So I basically committed to that job. And uh, I finished up about a month run of House of Blues tour dates with a band called Better Than Ezra. Do you remember them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was a uh, guitar tech on that tour and uh, did that run of, but it was around a month of dates of all the House of Blues throughout the country. And, uh, and then that was it because uh, I was done. That was what was happening with me. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So let's go and check out the Billboard Top 200 on 228-1996, and we're just going to cover the rock acts pretty much like we always do, and then we'll cover the total top 10. So the first rock act, technically, coming in at number 199, it's an album called Jock Rock Volume 2, and obviously there's various artists, and uh, this thing had peaked out at 121 and was on the chart for like 18 weeks uh, up till then. Now, if you're around in the 90s, compilation albums are huge at this point. They're taking advantage of the generation that wants physical product, but albums and cassettes were pretty much dead, and CDs had pretty much taken over. So radio was really the only other way you could hear some great song. Otherwise, you got to go try to find a single, or you get this compilation that brings the music kind of to the masses. Companies like ESPN had figured out, connect some music to something relevant they got going on, and bam, you got the jock rock Volume 2 released in 95. This one had 23 tracks. It included The Final Countdown by Europe, Rock and Roll All Night by Kiss, Lowrider by War, Get Ready by Rare Earth by some reason, and then We Are the Champions by Queen. So pretty cool album, but uh, there was a jock rock one too, but it wasn't really rock. Coming in at 193, we got the album called MTV Unplugged in New York by Nirvana. So this thing had peaked at number one at one point and been on the charts for over a year MTV had started doing these unplugged shows in 89. Nirvana was in negotiations for a while before actually doing it. They released this thing on November 1st, 94, but it was actually recorded on November 18th, 93. Nirvana basically played like lesser known material. Like they did covers of Vaseline's songs and David Bowie and Lead Belly and Meat Puppet. So, and they didn't go completely acoustic because they plugged in and used guitar effects during the set. So, it was the first Nirvana release after Kurt Cobain's death, and the only known songs they did in the whole set were About a Girl and Come As You Are. But that fan base, they like obscure stuff anyway, so it probably worked out pretty well. At number 186, and this is where this chart just goes crazy, and this will happen a lot in this chart, is the album 10 by Pearl Jam, which had peaked at number two, but had been on the chart for over four years. The album got released August of 91, sold a whopping 13 million copies in the U.S., making it diamond. This is the album that has a live, even Flo Jeremy. You want to take a wild guess what stopped it from going number one? Steven, take a guess. Um, never mind. Nope. Some Gave All by Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh. Yeah, Billy Ray. <laughs> yeah, Billy Ray. <laughs> Fuck Pearl James. Yeah, Billy Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Achy breaky. That's right. At 183, we've got the aforementioned Nevermind. It had uh, topped out at number one. It had been on the charts for 222 weeks instead of 218 for Pearl Jam. This album released in September of 91, sold a whopping 10 million copies, making it diamond. 
the two songs everybody knows, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Come As You Are on this album. But what scares me about this chart that we're talking about is we've already talked about Nirvana twice in four songs. So I'm hoping the chart gets better here a little bit because this is going to suck if this is all we're going to talk about. At 174, we got smashed by The Offspring, which had topped out at number four. It had been almost on the chart for two years. Released in April of 94, technically their third studio album. It sold about six times platinum, so I guess they're losers compared to Pearl Jam and Nirvana. This is not the album that has the song Pretty Fly for a White Guy. That actually comes a couple of years later. The singles from this album were Come Out and Play, Self-Esteem, and Gotta Get Away. And as I said, this thing stalled at four. The reason it stalled at four, it couldn't beat From the Cradle by Eric Clapton, couldn't beat Monster by R.E.M., and the number one album when it got to four was the album Two by Boys to Men. So if you haven't heard The Offspring, I would label them alternative rock with like maybe a hint of punk. They got some catchy tunes, I would say. And then the last of the first six we're going to talk about here, at number 72, we got The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails which had also peaked at number two. So think about it. We talked five albums in a row here, which had all been in the top five and are all been on the charts for almost two years. This is the second album released by Nine Inch Nails. The two singles were March of the Pigs and Closer. Closer is probably their most well-known song, although most people would say Head Like a Hole, but if you go to Spotify, Closer has four times the listens. Wiki lists this album, and I'm going to quote here. A concept album detailing the self-destruction of a man from the beginning of his misanthropic downward spiral to his suicidal breaking point. And that basically tells you everything you need to know about how I feel about this fucking album. <laughs> it's a dark record. You're not, you're not, you're not popping party favors with yeah. this record. That's for sure. And like I said, it topped out at two, and the one that stopped it was Super Known by Soundgarden. So I want to get your take on the six albums. I want to get your favorite. I'll tell you, this is an ugly set of albums for me, so I'm going to take the easy way out. Jock Rock Volume 2 for me. <laughs> uh, why did I know you were going to pick that? I could almost I, – I, I, as I go through these groups of albums, usually I'll go, which one's Sonny going to pick? And I was right on this one. <laughs> So I'll start with Jock Rock Volume 2. Look, they've had these kinds of records for decades now. I really don't usually pay too much attention to them. I never have. So the same is true for this one. MTV Unplugged in New York by Nirvana. This is another one that I didn't pay too much attention. I know that they kept playing the videos for the live performance of Come As You Are. And um, I think David Bowie tune that they do in that thing, Man Who Saved the World or something like that. I don't remember. 10 by Pearl Jam is a brilliant album. I think it's a great album. Nevermind by Nirvana. Uh, okay, it changed things, but I don't know too much about it as far as being on the charts. Smash by The Offspring. I like it. I like The Offspring. They've got a lot of good stuff that I uh, like quite a bit. Uh, Smash wasn't a record. I mean, I knew the hits, but I don't own this record. And then Downward Spiral, I own the record. It's got some good tunes on it, but I preferred the one before it with Head Like a Hole, more dance-oriented record that just had some cool grooves to it. The Downward Spiral's up and down and all over the place, and there's a lot of slower stuff on it. And it's just a depressing <laughs> record at times. But I do like Closer quite a bit. My favorite of this bunch is pretty easy with uh, Pearl Jam and 10. It's just a great record. <laughs> Thank you. 
The Next Six at 155. Greatest Hits by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers had peaked out at number two, been on the chart for over two years. This chart over two years is going to be a common theme here. Greatest Hits Records is going to be a common theme here. The album was released in November of 93. Technically, they released one single to promote the album, Mary Jane's Last Dance, which ended up being a top 20 single. Album is also Diamond, which is also going to be a theme on this whole chart, selling 12 million copies. The albums originally topped out at number five, but then it re-hit the charts and topped out at number two after Tom Petty's death. At 152, we got Dookie by Green Day, topped out at number two, been on the chart for over two years, released in February 94, third official release, had four singles, Longview, Welcome to Paradise, Basket Case, and When I Come Around. Green Day also won a Grammy for Best Alternative Album in 95, So, and this album's also Diamond. At number 142, we got Greatest Hits by Queen. This album was a re-release of the original release that released in 81, and actually this thing's been re-released several times over the years and has been on and off the charts for 400 weeks over the last 42 years, by the way. This 92 edition, this is the one I know, this is the one I own. It has anything a clean, casual fan would want. We Will Rock You or The Champions, Another One Bites the Dust, Fat Bottom Girls, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, many, many more. Technically, this album is also Diamond if you add up all the re-releases. So all the sales from all the re-releases makes it Diamond. At number 125, we got another Greatest Hits by Stevie Ray Vaughan in Double Trouble. Now, this thing only peaked out at 39, and I guess it's the loser because it's only been on the charts for 16 weeks. Collection was released in late October 95, five years after Stevie Ray Vaughan died. And he's one of those guys that got six studio albums, but he's got like seven live albums and 11 compilations because very similar to Jimi Hendrix's of the world, I think what happens is these guys pass away early in life, but the record companies know that their music would basically connect to every generation in some way. Like Stevie Ray Vaughan is so listenable, no matter really who you are. And it's old double platinum has songs that a casual blues fan would absolutely like. And I'm a rock fan and I love tax man and the house is rocking and pride and joy and couldn't stand the weather. It's like, they're like staples of my life. And I'm not a, I don't know a lot about the blues. So somehow Stevie Ray Vaughan got to me. And I think that's the record companies knowing everybody loves that type of music. At 119, we got Metallica's The Black Album, which had peaked at number one, been on the chart for a whopping 236 weeks. Obviously, the quintessential Diamond Metallica album sold over 16 million copies, released in August of 91, and it was still going strong. It's not my favorite Metallica album, and I can tell you a lot of Metallica hardcores from the beginning didn't like this album because they thought it was too polished. But I don't think that I've been to a sporting event the last 25 years where I have not heard Mr. San- uh, Mr. Sandman, uh, that I have not heard Enter Sandman <laughs> at least once. I don't think I've ever heard Mr. Sandman played at a sporting event. Um, <laughs> and then at 116, we got stripped by the Rolling Stones, peaked out at number nine and only on the charts for 14 weeks. It had just been released because they had just gotten off the Voodoo Lounge Tour. It's got six live tracks and eight studio recordings. The live tracks are taken from four 1995 performances that included a cover of Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone, which was the first single. The other eight tracks are acoustic studio re-recordings that are recorded live, quote-unquote, without overdubs. I listened to this stripped album, which is basically a greatest hits again, yesterday. Meh. It wasn't that great. (laughs) Right? So that's six albums out of this six. We have three greatest hits, a dookie, a meh, and a black album. So I guess out of these, I'll take the black album, but I'll tell you that the Stevie Ray Vaughan album is actually pretty good. How about you? 
<laughs> yeah, so this one was a little bit tougher for me because the Tom Petty Greatest Hits is great. The Queen Greatest Hits is great. The Stevie Ray Vaughan Hits is great. Metallica, although that Black Album is not my favorite record by them, it's a great record. It's just amazing when I'm listening to you talk about it. It's amazing that a band like Metallica sold 16 million copies of a record. I mean, yeah. it, just fathom that. We're not yeah. talking about the Rolling Stones or some pop act. We're talking about a band like Metallica. There is not much crossover potential there, really. <laughs> you know, so that's unbelievable to me. So it's a little tougher for me to make my choice. But if I play this game and just say, look, I'm cutting out the greatest hits because I like Tom Petty. I like Queen. I like Stevie Ray Vaughan, but I'm not going to go with a greatest hits record. Then I'm going to settle on the Black Album by Metallica because it's just an outstanding album. Any way you look at it. And I was there from Kill 'Em All all the way through. So, yes, it's not my favorite, but it's still a great album and it can't be denied.
as we go through this, I think it's going to be interesting when we get to the end, we should, yeah, maybe you've already done this. I don't know, but we should go through and count the amount of diamond certified albums on this list. Because as you've seen, we've gone through just this first two sectors of this chart. There's a lot of diamond albums on this top 200. And this is just the rock ones. Correct. Okay. So going to the next six at number 115, we have It's a Mystery by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Peaked at number 27, only been on the charts for 17 weeks. First of all, I have to say, no idea that Bob Seger had 18 studio albums. I had no idea. Yeah, you think about it. I mean, think about all the hard rock bands that we loved that came up in the late 70s. They opened for Bob Seger. Yeah. It's a Mystery is technically the 15th of the studio albums. I think it's his last studio album that had the and the Silver Bullet Band moniker. After this release, he went on hiatus for like 11 years. Um, if you've never heard this album, the singles from this album were Lock and Load and Hands in the Air. At 110, we got Ball Breaker by ACDC, had peaked at number four, been on the charts for 21 weeks. This was ACDC's 13th studio album. Singles were Hard as a Rock, Hail Caesar, and Cover You in Oil. <laughs> Phil Rudd returns on drums after being gone for 12 years. Overall, sold double platinum. When it topped out at number four, though, the albums that stopped it from going number one. Number three was Cracked Rearview by Hudie. You're not going to beat that. Number two was the Dangerous Mind soundtrack, which the movie was huge. You're not going to beat that. And number one was Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. You're not going to beat that album either. So they were going to get stuck at four and not get any better. So just luck of the draw there. At number 104, which is one of the more surprising ones on this entire list, Don Henley's Greatest Hits called Actual Miles Henley's Greatest Hits. Peaked at number 48, and that's where the surprise is for me. This album has 13 killer songs, including Dirty Laundry, The Boys of Summer, All She Wants to Do Is Dance, Not Enough Love in the World, Sunset Grill. That's only the first five songs. Geffen fucked the promotion up on this album somehow because he had just released three killer solo albums, and this thing tops out at 48. There is something seriously wrong here. And it only sold platinum. I don't think Kevin did any promotion on this. I don't know what happened here. And I even like the, because um, there's like two new songs on this record. Yeah. Garden of Allah and I Will Not Go Quietly. I'll, I Will Not Go Quietly is the one with um, Axl Rose on it. And I like both of the singles. Yeah, they just messed something up there. Coming in at 100, Foo Fighters with their first album, self-titled. Peaked out at number 23 and went on the charts for 33 weeks. And, oh my God, Foo Fighters only got to number 23. Everybody relax. This is their first release. 95. Platinum album. Had five singles. Exhausted. This is a call. I'll stick around for all the cows and big me. And as most listeners know, I am not a big Foo fan. I do have to admit, though, it's impressive that the entire album, is written and recorded by Dave Grohl. So Homie's obviously talented. I just don't like it very much, but that got to give him props for that kind of stuff. Coming in at number 90, you got Korn's first album, self-titled, peaked out at 72, was on the chart for 28 weeks, and Korn is just getting started. Took a while for them to get noticed because this album actually came out the end of 94, but it was really touring with Megadeth in mid-95 and then touring with Ozzy at the beginning of 96 that put him on the map. Album sold double platinum. The four singles were Blind, Need to, Shoot and Ladders, and Clown. 
And the problem with this band for me is they're just sometimes too serious. Like their songs about like child abuse and drug abuse and bullying. And that's just not what I come to music for. Like I, I, that shit's all over the news. I don't need to hear it on an album. And then at number 87, so let me take a deep breath here because the album title, first of all, it's White Zombie. Astro Creep, 2000 Songs of Love, Destruction, and Other Synthetic Delusions of the Electric Head. And that same album is released as a live record, like 20 years later, by the way. This one, though, is the studio record. Peaked at number six, been on the chart for 45 weeks. Now, what most people don't know, we're talking about February 28th, 96. White Zombie's already been around for 11 years by this point. Took a while to get noticed. Astro Creep was a double platinum album, but it was their fourth and final album before Rob Zombie goes solo. Three singles were Electric Head Part 2, Supercharger Heaven, and the one that most people know, More Human Than a Human, which was their only Hot 100 hit, topping out at number 53. So again, six albums. I like the White Zombie record, but I'm voting for Don Henley because that Greatest Hits album is, you know how those like almost perfect Greatest Hits albums, like whoever the record company was, are like, this Greatest album is going to live forever. Like the Survivor one or the Loverboy one or the Rick Springfield one or there's a Brian Adams one that just got hit after hit after the Journey Greatest Hits album. And this is one of those. And I don't know how Geffen fucked it up, but they really screwed him over. What are your thoughts? Okay, so let's start with the Bob Seger. It's a mystery. I've never been a huge Bob Seger fan. I know a couple of the hits, and I wouldn't even necessarily call myself a casual fan. I mean, I like, it's not like I don't like anything by him, but I can probably count on one hand how many I like. Ball Breaker by ACDC. It's ACDC. I mean, it is what it is. Ball Breaker is not one of my favorite records by them, but there's some good stuff on it. So actual Miles Henley's greatest hits, if I'm just being honest, out of these records, that's probably the one that I've listened to most out of all these records, because like Sonny said, it's got a lot of great songs on it. I like the two new singles that are on it. Uh, it's a good record. Foo Fighters first record's okay with me. I am a Foo Fighters fan, but I like some of the stuff that comes after this record. And there's still some good stuff on this debut, but I, like I said, I like some of the stuff that comes later. Corn, I can take them or leave them. One thing that I do think is kind of cool is that Nine Inch Nails sort of helped and discovered Corn, and Corn turned around and did the same thing for Limp Biscuit. So I think that's kind of cool. It's just I can take or leave their stuff, basically. White Zombie. Astro Creep and a bunch of other words after that. <laughs> yeah, it, I like White Zombie. More Human Than Human's an awesome tune. But I have to be in the mood to listen to White Zombie because it's not everyday music for me. That's my thoughts on it. And I'll go with the Don Henley Greatest Hits as well.
Getting to the next six at number 81, we go with Live and their third studio album, Throw in Copper, which peaked at number one and was on the chart for two years. Most likely, the album everybody has heard from Live is this one, sold 8 million copies in the U.S., the singles were Selling the Drama, All Over You, White Discussion, and the two songs that most people know, which were both top 40 singles, I Alone and Lightning Crashes. It's just another band that most people don't know that had been around 10 years by the time they broke into MTV and got all this attention. At number 77, Greatest Hits by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. So he shows up for a second time, peaked at number eight, and had been on the chart for 69 weeks. This thing was released before the album we talked about earlier, and it is also Diamond. Bob wrote music that can connect with every generation. You probably could re-release this every 15 years, and it would do just fine. And as long as his songs keep showing up in movies and TV shows and ad campaigns, it's going to last forever. Capital Ain't Stupid. They made sure they put all the Bob Seger songs you, everybody would want. This thing's got night moves, turn the page, still the same old-time rock and roll. You want to give Bob Seger a chance? Here, get to the greatest hits. That's where to go. At number 70, Hell Freezes Over by the Eagles. Hit number one, been on the charts for 67 weeks. So after 14 years of fuck you and fuck you and fuck that guy and that guy don't know shit and he's an idiot and he can't play guitar <laughs> and he can't sing and he sucks and my solo album's better and they don't know how to write songs and he never sang and he never wrote. Somehow, they all get in a room together and decide in 1994 they're going to tour. And they come back, Glenn Fry, Don Hanley, Don Felder, Joe Walsh, Timothy B. Schmidt. The album had four studio tracks and 11 tracks that were recorded from an MTV special during their tour in April 94. They released two singles, Get Over It, Love Will Keep Us Alive. The album has an acoustic version of Hotel California. It's nine times platinum, so I'm sure it'll be diamond someday. The DVD even sold eight times platinum. So they got a, just a bucket full of cash with this whole thing. And I think this thing happening is one of the reasons where Paul is going, well, the Eagles did it. We can probably do it. I think this helps. All the greatest hits albums all over the place. You got the Eagles coming back. Everybody's talking about re-releasing stuff because music's got to stay. And here comes Kiss on top of that. Totally makes sense to me. At number 66, you got The Vault, Greatest Hits 80 to 95 by Def Leppard. We've talked about this before. Peaked at number 15. Retroactive, it got released, went platinum. Record company's not dumb. They put something together, greatest hits, bam, it goes five times platinum. Only single off this thing, When Love and Hate Collide. It was their last Hot 100 hit period for Def Leppard. So there you go. At number 59, Anthology One by the Beatles. Now, obviously, it's the Beatles, so it went number one, been on the chart for 13 weeks. Let me ask you a question, Stephen. Do you have any idea how many studio albums the Beatles officially have? Let me see. Give me a second to count and see if I can get close. You're still counting? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out and go through the <laughs> titles of the records in my head. I'm going to guess somewhere around 12 to 15. That was a good guess. 13. Okay. On Wiki, they have 54 compilation albums. Oh, yeah. You can't squeeze more juice out of that orange. It's not possible. Anthology had three releases overall. This one was released in 95, sold eight times platinum, has 60 tracks on it. And it's basically songs from 58 to 64. Like these guys, just money just keeps coming. People are throwing money at the Beatles all the time. So whatever. 
And it's not even just that. Like the other big thing is they have different pressings of different albums. So they have like the Japanese pressing of this album or the German pressing of this album, or they have all kinds of, of stuff out there. There's all kinds of like collector's stuff and just expensive you know, that's not really my world, but I, I do, I see it all the time and see people talking about it all the time because I got a couple of uh, just Beatle fanatic friends that are nuts. I mean, I like the Beatles, but I'm not like that. So, <laughs> And then the last out of these six at number 51, you got Osmosis by Ozzy Osbourne that it topped out at number four and it been on the chart for 17 weeks. Technically, Ozzy's seventh solo album, last audio album that sold double platinum. Singles were... I Just Want You, which I can't even remember how that song goes. See You on the Other Side, which obviously is a hit. Perry Mason, which uh, everybody knows. And at this point, Ozzy is Ozzy, Zach, Geezer Butler, Dean Castronovo. So, by the way, when this thing went to number four, the three couldn't pass. Jagged Little Pill, Daydream by Mariah Carey, which was huge. And then that stupid melancholy record by Smashing Pumpkins. Right? You just couldn't pass it. So I want to get your take on these six. Out of these six, I, you got four greatest hits. You got to throw in Copper and an Ozzy with Zach. I guess I'll take Ozzy. <laughs> As luck would have it, I listened to this Ozzy record today because I want it to pass judgment on Osmosis because I remember when it came out, I didn't really like it that much. And upon listening to it today, I decided that it has two good songs on it. <laughs> and is, so, it is it one of them? Perry Mason. It is, actually. I like Perry Mason. <laughs> I also like uh, uh, Lightning and Thunder, I think, is the name of the other tune. But it doesn't have a lot of good stuff. It's not a great album. <laughs> Throwing Copper. I hated Live when this record was out. They've got a few good songs that I kind of like. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Seger already said, you know, I can count the songs I like on my hand. Hell Freeze is over. When this came out, I remember when this record came out because it was a big, huge thing because they had recorded it in a special new format and released it on DVD. And it sounded amazing. Like sonically, it sounded great. That thing was awesome. Uh, I remember watching the DVD at a friend of mine's house uh, and he had like the surround sound stereo thing and he was throwing it up there and it was just like literally like being at the concert. I really like Hell Freezes Over. There's a lot of great stuff. I like their version of Hotel California that they do uh, acoustically. So yeah, I really like that record a lot. Fault Greatest Hits 1980 to 1995. I had all the Def Leppard records, so I never really paid this any attention at all. Anthology won the Beatles. Again, I may have owned this one. I can't remember. I own a red and a blue double disc Beatles with all the hits. I don't know if that's Anthology or not. It's not. Now that I think about it, it's like the hits 1990, 1955 to something. I don't know. Uh, so this was another one that I just kind of ignored because I had a lot of Beatles records and I had uh, two double discs with all the hits. So I don't need anything else. And then Osmosis, I already talked about. So the record for me out of this group, Hell Freezes Over by the Eagles. For the record, we never broke up. We just took a 14-year vacation.
takes another tequila sunrise Staring slowly across the sky They said goodbye He was just a hired hand Working on a dreamy plan to try go by Every night when the sun goes down Just another lonely boy in town And she's out running round She wasn't just another woman And I couldn't All right, so this seems like a great place to take a break uh, and give a shout out to the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. As we get through this year, we're going to be doing various different polls and different trivia things, things such as that. And we usually defer to Grown Up Rock's Loud Minority Facebook group for some of those people to chime in. It's a great place where we can connect with you and discuss the podcast as a whole. So come on over to the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. It's a private group. And for the most part, it's pretty positive. We don't have a lot of poisonous posts on that group, which is the way we like it. We think music should be fun and there's no reason to hate on it. So like what you like, don't like what you don't like, but we ain't got to throw a bunch of hate that way. So keep it positive. Also, thanks to the listeners that go and spend a couple minutes of your time leaving us a five-star review at Podchaser or at Apple Podcast. We appreciate that, and it helps out the podcast more than you know. That is my two-minute public service announcement Thanks for listening, and now back to our regularly scheduled program. Okay, so the next six, which is interesting because we had a bunch of rock 51 and lower on the Billboard 200. The top 50, the rock gets uh, pretty tight. Let's put it that way. So at number 50, we got one hot minute by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Peaked at number four, was on the chart for 23 weeks. This album's kind of in a weird situation. So kind of follow me here. This is their sixth studio album, Soul Double Platinum. But the one released four years earlier, which was Blood Sugar Sex Magic, sold seven times platinum. And the album that was released four years after, which is Californication, sold seven times platinum. So why is the middle album basically tanked compared to the other two? It's just weird. So I can answer that question. This record was a weird record for them because John Frusciante left the band. And this record is the only record that features Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction on guitar. And I remember that the promotion was a little weird on this record. So that's probably the answer to your question. Yeah. And I think there's another answer too. five singles. Warped, My Friends, Aeroplane, Shallowed Be Thy Game, and Coffee Shop. Couldn't pick them from a lineup. So it might be, it just got no promotion. Who knows? 
At number 45, we got the self-titled Alice in Chains album. Uh, peaked at number one, been on the chart for 15 weeks. This is sometimes called the dog album or tripod because it has a three-legged dog on the cover. Technically, it's their third studio album and it sold double platinum. Album debuted at number one because Dirt had been a huge hit and it had been three years since they had released a full-length album. Uh, this is a first album with Mike Inez on it. It's a last album with Lane Staley on it because Lane passed uh, soon after. Singles were Grind, Heaven Beside You, and Again. At number 37, we got Insomniac by Green Day. So this is the album that gets released after Dookie. Peaks at two, weeks on the chart, 19. Green Day was going through some stuff because the punk circles that they grew up in was totally turned their back on them because they sold out to the man, right? Because Dookie was having all this success and ended up going diamond at the end. But so instead of getting caught up in all that shit, they just went back in the studio and started doing more songs because they didn't want all the attention that all the negative attention that having a hit record was bringing. The singles on this album, Geek, Stink Breath, Stuck With Me, Brian Stooge, Jaded. I listened to these three singles today. Yuck. Like it was that bad. It, it, I, I love Geek, Stink oh Breath, man. Oh my God, so I stupid. love the riff on oh, it. Oh God, just Yeah, I dig song. that tune a lot. Oh. At number 34, we got a boy named Goo by the Goo Goo Dolls. Peaked at number 27, been on the charts for 26 weeks. Another band that most people didn't know had already been around 10 years by 1996. Took them a while to get noticed. This is their fifth studio album. Went double platinum. And I think that had a lot to do with they're on Metal Blade for some reason. But this album does well. Bam. They get on Warner Brothers. Never look back after that. Five singles on this album. Only one. Flat top. Name. Naked. Long way down. Name. Was a top 50 hit uh, on the Billboard 100. At number 30, we got an album called American Standard by Seven Mary Three. Peaked at number 24, weeks on the chart 18. Stephen, do you remember where the term Seven Mary Three is actually from? That, my friend, is from one of my favorite shows as a kid, Chips. That is right. It was the call sign for John Baker. Seven Mary Three means seven designates the patrol beat, M is four, they're a motorcycle unit. And three is their unit number. So supposedly they were tired of thinking of a cool name. So they're watching Chips and just picked that up. This is their second studio album. The only platinum record they got. The singles were My My, Water's Edge, and the only Seven Mary Three song that most people know, which is Cumbersome. It was a top 40 hit. And in number 14, we got Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness by the Smashing Pumpkins. That was a former number one album, been on the chart for 17 weeks. You have no idea how happy it makes me to talk about the Smashing Pumpkins. I'm so happy. It's so great. <laughs> I cannot fucking stand these guys. I can't get through one song. I cannot believe this is a Diamond album. Technically, it's the third studio album. Now, I want you to follow me here because there's a message at the end. The singles were Bullet with Butterfly Wings, 1979, Tonight, Tonight, Zero, and 33. And all I can say about these singles is Tonight, Tonight, it has zero chance of me listening to them. In 1979, when I was 10, it may have had a 33% chance, but I'd rather take a fucking bullet to the head eating Butterfly Wings versus listening to this shit. I cannot believe this is a diamond record. Well, I couldn't get through one song. I'm a little surprised you can't even get through 1979. Oh, my God, dude. The, the, just, I hate everything about this album. So, out of these six, this is ugly six. I got to go with Alice in Chains. Alice is the only album I can actually get through out of these six. Not a Goo Goo Dolls fan, huh? 
No. Name is a great tune, so it's a long way down. Yeah, so all the singles off of Melancholy that you uh, mentioned, I like. I like Zero. Oh, God. I like Zero. I like Bullet Butterfly Wings. Uh, I like um, 1979. Tonight, I can take or leave. I don't like everything on this on that uh, Smashing Pumpkins record. In fact, I probably maybe like half of it, if that. But the songs I like, I like. Yeah, this is a tough group, to be honest, because I don't love anything on here uh seven mary three i literally don't i couldn't name another song other than cumbersome one hot minute i own i liked airplane i liked warp i like a handful of other songs on it i like dave navarro out of these man allison chains i listened to that actually today and there's some good tunes on it but it's to me it's not a strong record uh, Insomniac, like I mentioned, I really like Geek Stink Breath, but that record is hit or miss for me as well. Boy Named Goo, uh, I think the singles are really good. Uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, I mean, it's a double CD. So there's a bunch of stuff and probably I don't even like a full CD out of it. I'm going to go with One Hot Minute by the Red Hot Chili Peppers because after this record, they just got increasingly bad. In- <laughs> they got increasingly worse after Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Like every album after Blood Sugar Sex Magic got worse and worse. Today, like I won't even listen to anything that they put out today just because it is so far removed from what they once were. It's just, it's, yeah. They're, they're awful today. I can't stand the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I used to be a huge fan. Like, their first few albums where they're really, really funky and just really just fun, those records are so different than what they put out today. It's awful. But <laughs> at least I got Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, and all the stuff before it. And that's, that's good. <laughs> Getting to the top 10, where we talk about all the top 10s real quick, uh, whether it's rock or not. At number 10, we have Congratulations, I'm Sorry by the Gin Blossoms. It peaked at number 10, never got any higher. 
this is the one that has Follow You Down, and this the album before it had Hey Jealousy. At number nine, we got Revelations by Winona, her third studio album. The first one sold five platinum. Next two, both sold platinum. She didn't even have a gold record after that. This album debuted at nine, never got any higher. At number eight, we actually got a rock record, 16 Stone by Bush. Uh, had peaked at number four, been on the charts for over a year. This is the first Bush album. The most popular, sold six times platinum, had everything zen, little things, come down, glycerin, machine head. All of those singles hit the top 50 on the Billboard 100. Album was on the charts for over two years. At seven, you got Crack Rear View by Hootie and the Blowfish. It was the number one album, already been on the chart for a couple of years. It stayed on for almost four years. Now, I'll tell you that, first of all, the album's Diamond. It sold 21 million copies. I will tell you it was on the chart for four years. It was in the top 20 for almost two years. That's a whole other level. Like, to be at the top 20 for, but hold my hand, let her cry, only want to be with you, and time are absolutely awesome songs. It deserved what it got. At number six, we have The Woman in Me by Shania Twain, and it had peaked at number five. Shania's first Diamond album. Why do I say first? Because Shania has three Diamond <laughs> albums. Okay. Back to back. <laughs> yeah, back to back to back, I think. I think it's three in a yep. row. I'm not sure, yep. though. Yeah, it is. Um, all the songs I like are actually on the album after this one, and this album had eight singles, and it went to number one on the country charts, and Shania's hot. Out of these five, just to take a break and get a, a favorite out of these five, Shania's hot. That Hootie record is amazing. What about you? To me, bands like Gin Blossoms, Bush, and Hootie and the Blowfish define the 90s. I mean, I can't think of the 90s music without thinking those bands. I mean, Gin Blossoms, like you said, Hey Jealousy on the record before, and Follow Me Down. There's some really good songwriting on the Gin Blossom records. Winona, Revelations. I listened to this for the first time today because I think she's an amazing singer. Like, she's really, really good. She has that growl in her voice that is very rock and roll, even though she's a country artist. I don't know anything really about her other than she was part of the Judds and then went out on her own and uh, was kind of sassy, basically. (laughs) Had a mouth on her uh, like a sailor and uh, put out some records. Revelations, I went through this record today. Uh, I don't know. Is this a cover album? Because it, it has a lot of covers on it. It has like, yeah, she doesn't write any songs. That's part of the problem. Yeah. But this was like popular covers. Like she does a cover of Freebird. Oh, she, and oh, I guess somebody to love my angels. Oh yeah, yeah. To be loved by you. I guess it is a covers record. Yeah. So I didn't recognize all the songs, but she does a cover of Freebird uh, by Skinner, but it's very like it's her own style. Uh, if you get a chance, you might want to check it out just because it is interesting. It's a very different version. Uh, but one of the versions that I heard today that I absolutely loved, and I took it and put it on a playlist immediately, was she does a version of Eric Clapton's Change the World, and I thought it was really good. And it's just a stripped-down version. Like I said, she sings her ass off. Uh, she's so good singing. So, yeah, so there's some interesting stuff on there on this covers record. 16 Stone by Bush. I mean, by far the best Bush record. Uh, there's some good stuff on there. I like some of it. I have to be in the mood for it. A while back, I did an interview with um, Gavin Rostell from Bush. Uh, so if you get a chance, go in the archives, check that out. And then Cracked Review is just otherworldly in terms of albums. 
<laughs> I mean, like you said, it's it's diamond certified, but uh, it was all over the place from MTV and just yeah, that's a part of uh, uh, American music right there with that one. And then Woman and Me, I don't know much about the record. Doesn't have any of the songs I'm familiar with. But what I will tell people, the reason that I knew she had three back to back to back. Uh, diamond certified records and this was one of them is that if you have netflix go to netflix there's a shania twain documentary on that on netflix um it's like a mini movie it's like you know an hour and a half or so but it's very good i love music documentaries even if i'm not necessarily interested in the music definitely go check out that documentary because uh it's worth the watch especially if you have netflix free the record for me out of this bunch is probably going to be Hootie and the Blowfish. I didn't love the record at this period of time when it was out, but over the years I've come to appreciate it. And now several of the songs are on playlists that I keep in the car because let's face it, my wife loves it. <laughs> All right. So the top five on 228, 1996 and number five, what's the story morning glory by Oasis had topped out at four, but on the chart 20 weeks. Second album by the Gallagher Brothers, sold four times platinum, has Wonderwall on it. Number four, Daydream by Mariah Carey, had been number one, been on the chart for 20 weeks. Any idea, Stephen, how many studio albums Mariah has? I really have no clue about her. I don't keep up with her career at all. The Beatles had 13. Mariah has 15. Okay. This is her fifth. She has two Diamond albums, okay? There's 12 tracks on this album. One of the tracks is a cover of Open Arms by Journey. Uh-huh. Out of the other 11 tracks, give me a guess on how many of the 11 tracks did she co-write or write the lyrics, and how many of those 11 tracks did she co-write or write the music? <laughs> Originally, I would say none, but then eventually, I think she started getting involved with some of the writing. So 10%. 100 she has a co-write on every song, musically and lyrically, except for Open Arms. With her entire career? On this album. On this album. Yeah. Okay. And this is her fifth album? Yeah. That's got to be her husband pulling the strings at the time. Yeah, who knows? But that whole All I Want for Christmas is You, she has a co-write on that thing, man. She's made millions on that song. She's made more money off that. I saw something this Christmas. I think I talked about it on an episode where she makes more off that song than she does like all her albums put together or some shit. Yeah, yeah. Number three on this day was the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack, which had peaked at number one, been on the charts for 14 weeks. This is the soundtrack from the movie that starred Whitney Houston and Angela Bassett. Has 16 songs. Whitney's got a song, Tony Braxton, Aretha Franklin, Shaka Khan. 15 out of the 16 songs are written by Babyface. It sold seven times platinum. Babyface is rich. <laughs> at, <laughs> at number two, Jagged Little Pill, Alanis Morissette. Like we said, it's been number one. It was on the chart for 36 weeks. So get this. It's been on the chart for 36 weeks. It's still floating in the top five here, right? So that's pretty crazy. I'm sure most people don't know that Jagged Little Pill was actually her third album. The first two albums put together didn't sell 16 copies. Jagged Little Pill sold 16 million. Okay, so another Diamond album. It's got You Ought to Know, Ironic, You Learn, Head Over Heels. These songs will be in the next 10 generations, especially now, female power, female equity, etc. These songs are all about female power and female equity. You're talking 100 years, people going to be making money off this music. And at number one, on his first week, Debuting at number one, 
the man who announced Kiss coming to the stage, Tupac with all eyes on me. Isn't it interesting? Homie introduces Kiss on the Grammys and he has a number one album on the same day. Hmm. Also Diamond, and I'm telling you, California Love will live in history forever. You named uh, basically an R&B hip-hop song that crossed over to the pop charts. After a state that has 39 million people, that song will be around absolutely forever. And then if you remember, he died in September of this year, so he didn't last too much longer. My favorite out of these five, these are not five albums I listen to all the time, but out of these five, I think I got to pick Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. Those four songs are really, really good. How about you? Yeah. I uh, love California uh, by uh, Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> even You're talking I know, about it like it's like a three-pack of socks. Even I, know, even I know that song by Tupac. <laughs> I kid. I kid. Yes, I know. Tupac. Tupacs. Yes, for me. What's Story Morning Glory by Oasis? Absolutely love that record. I think it's a great record. Daydream by Mariah Carey. Couldn't name a song on it. I don't know what's on that record. I don't keep up with her. Uh, good for her. <laughs> uh, waiting to Exhale. I looked at it today. It looks like a lot of Whitney Houston. Maybe they were trying to recreate the bodyguard. I know she's in the movie along with a bunch of other R&B divas, so to speak. I don't know. It's not something I've ever listened to. Not even once. <laughs> not my bang zone. Uh, Jagged Little Pill, Alanis Morissette. I got the opportunity to see Alanis Morissette live in concert earlier this year. Absolutely amazing. Uh, this record, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, you play, uh, it, first of all, it was a sold out show. So there was, you know, 16, 20,000 people, whatever. And she's celebrating the anniversary of the record or whatever. And so she was playing essentially the the entire record. And when she's going through a lot of this stuff, you can just look at the crowd and see how the music transcended, you know, the generation. Basically, this is an album for the generation, essentially. Just such a great record from start to finish. I like even the tracks that weren't singles on this record I like. It's not even problem for me, hands down. Jagged Little Pill, for me, uh, is my favorite out of this bunch. Although, like I said, I really do like What's the Story, Morning Glory by Oasis. So. so wrapping up this part of the conversation about the chart, a lot of compilations a lot of greatest hits, a lot of diamond albums. And it was definitely a time in music history where physical product was wanted. The record companies knew it. A lot of these guys had had hits in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. And the Capitol Records and the Geffens and the Atlantic Records and all these guys are not stupid. And they figured out how to make money when everybody wanted physical product. If you think about it, this is the time frame where Apple hasn't showed up yet. There's no Napster yet. There's no Spotify yet. So if you want to listen to something, you either got to have it or you got to listen to the radio or you got to burn a copy from somebody and cassettes are dying and nobody's burning CDs yet. So you're kind of stuck. It's in a weird place in history, right? Yeah, it's like five or six years off of the MP3, right? Napster right. happened, what, around 2001 or something? Yeah, yeah. 
It's just around the corners, boys. You better live it up while you can, record companies, because from 1978 and 79 through uh, 1996, you guys were making billions uh, (laughs) off a physical product. And and that gravy train uh, came to an abrupt end, and it it was and is ugly. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the historic moment, let's do a little bit of history lesson. So 228.96 happens on the Grammys. And basically, things died down a little bit. And then on April 16th, the band members hold a press conference on the USS Intrepid in New York City, where they announce plans for the reunion tour. April 20th. 40,000 tickets. So four days later, 40,000 tickets for the tour's first show sold out 47 minutes. So they knew they had something. So they go do a warm-up show on June 15th at KROQ Weenie Roast in Irvine. Goddamn nightmare. They almost set the place on fire. It's on YouTube. It sounds like shit. Ace is playing the wrong song, I think. He's unplugged for some of it. Like, it was ugly. 13 days later, they start their live worldwide tour at Tiger Stadium, sold-out crowd. Tour lasted 192 shows, and over the course of that first year, they made $43.6 million. And I guarantee you, they did not split it evenly with Ace and Peter, because both of their books say they got screwed. I also guarantee you that they made probably three, maybe even four times as much as that $46 million that you mentioned in merchandising. Which Ace and Peter got none of. (laughs) Right? So... Now, that's kind of what's going on there. As for the song we want to play, so also in 96, a tribute album for Ace Fairly was released called Spacewalk, produced by Billy Sherwood, bunch of Ace tracks and some Kiss tracks done by a bunch of musicians. But here is John Aldretti on bass and Bruce Boulier on rhythm guitar, who are both from Racer X, Scott Travis on drums from Judas Priest, Marty Friedman from Megadeth, and a guy named Tom Gaddis on vocals, who's done some work with Marty Friedman in the past with their version of the KISS classic, Deuce.
Yeah, so basically Racer X deuce with Marty Friedman because Scott Travis was in Racer X oh, at yeah, one that's point right. in time as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good version. It's it's pretty close to the vest, right? Not too far off from the original. I looked at this tribute record, the Spacewalk records, first time I've seen it. Some interesting song choices there. Oh, yeah. Uh, as a tribute to, you know, Ace Fraley. Uh, why the fuck would you have hard luck woman on there you know i don't know <laughs> just who knows I, I you know i don't even understand like why why not make it like you understand with parasite and with cold gin because you know he had a hand in that and that was a big uh part of his i i don't even necessarily understand a song like deuce being on there and he plays some of this stuff live too which i don't quite understand so it's just kind of weird that record as a whole but as far as this version of deuce goes for the tribute i thought it was okay how about you the production is definitely brighter the vocal um i <sighs> I don't know. Trom's trying to be raspy, but it doesn't have like the smooth and sexy of Gene. And the song needs like a little bit of smooth, sexy. Marty does a good job of having the ace flavor to the solo, but dude, he, it's way too clean and fast for fucking ace. Like he, he goes to a new place, but I mean, you got to, you got to, you got to flaunt it. I mean, Marty Freeman just can't do ace and just drop his guitar. I mean, he's got to do his thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the things I laughed most about is a guy like Marty Friedman trying to be sloppalicious. It's almost yeah. impossible, right? <laughs> technical genius. How does a technical genius go, uh, let me drink five bottles of Jack Daniels and then try to play and see if it gets sloppalicious? I don't know. Yeah. He started with kind of the A solo and then I'm like, oh my God, dude, where are you at? <laughs> what, Ace doesn't uh, do I, these I arpeggios? Uh, no, he does not. <laughs> I can play anything. I just need a, a drummer. <laughs> All right, so to wrap up 228.96, what else is going on in the world? You know, we'd like talking about these weird things sometimes. NFL, the Super Bowl, just ended. The Cowboys beat the Steelers, baby. Thank you, Neil O'Donnell, for throwing picks to Larry Brown. You made me a lot of money that day. I appreciate you, Neil. NBA, what's going on on 228.96? The Chicago Bulls have the best record in the NBA. They're 50-6 and six and on their way to a record-breaking 72-10 and 10 because they got Michael Jordan at the helm. The number one movie in the U.S. Want to take a wild guess? 1996. Beverly Hills Cop. City Hall. Al Pacino, John Cusack, Bridget Fonda. Yeah. Jesus. All right, this one always throws you. Number one TV show in the country. 60 Minutes. That is incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Nope. E-R. And there is no way you're going to get this. The number one song in the U.S. on 228.96 was? The number one song in the U.S. Um, California. No. One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men. It was on his 14th week at number one. What album was that off of? Was it on Daydream? Daydream. Yeah, okay. it's on Daydream. All yeah. right. That's part of what was driving Daydream. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so that wraps up 22896. God, such a fun time. I love these episodes. I really do. I like taking a trip back in time. Just amazing how many greatest hits albums. Uh, so many greatest hits albums on this chart, and and did we get? Did you count up the diamond albums or no? 
I didn't, but if I was to take the rock and the non-rock, uh, it's easily 20. Yeah. yeah. And that's 10% of a chart on just a, we threw a dart at a board and came up with a date. Yeah. And it's 10% of the diamond albums that are out there. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm willing to bet that that doesn't, I mean, I, I don't remember it happening on any of the other charts that we looked at. No, no. Uh, and sometimes it's albums, sometimes it's singles, but um yeah. So, yeah, this is definitely one of the more interesting chart selections that we've had. And there's been a lot, there's a lot of rock on here, but uh, if you look at it, it's pretty much, I mean, there's not much that I would say is hard rock and metal. A lot of it is new metal, maybe, or whatever you would consider, maybe grunge, I guess, but alternative rock, alternative rock, you know. Uh, because 96, I mean, all the hair bands and the hard rock bands that we knew at that point had already breathed their last breath. Uh, or they're and, trying to release a grunge album that sold 10 copies. Yeah, correct. That's right. <laughs> yep. So, all right. Well, good episode. Thanks for doing the legwork as always. I enjoy those. You do a lot of work in those and it's uh, they come out great. Thanks to the listeners. We appreciate you guys coming with us on this ride. And uh, yeah, you have anything else you want to add before we get up on out of here? Thanks for listening and uh, share with us if uh, you saw Kiss on the Grammys. And what'd you think that day? Yeah. Were you there in person? Did you help Gene put on his eye makeup? Let us know. <laughs> See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 